Welcome to All My Children Wear Fur Coats with Peggy Hoyt. Our goal is to keep loved pets in loving homes by educating pet parents about the importance of ensuring every pet has a forever home. For more information about creating a legacy for your pet or to listen to archive shows, visit AnimalCareTrustUSA.org or LegacyForYourPet.com. Join your host, author, estate planning attorney, and animal advocate, Peggy Hoyt. Hello, pet lovers. Welcome to All My Children Wear Fur Coats. I'm your, pe- I'm your host, Peggy Hoyt, and this show is brought to you by the law offices of Hoyt and Brian, where we create estate plans for pets and their people. Also brought to you by Animal Care Trust USA, a national nonprofit dedicated to keeping loved pets in loving homes. We educate pet parents about the importance of using a pet trust to protect to provide lifetime love and care for your pets. So although I like to say all my children wear fur coats, today we're going to talk about (laughs) children that have feathered coats. And my special guest today is Ann Brooks, and she is the president at Phoenix Landing Foundation. And welcome to the show, Ann. Thanks. You do such great work. I'm so happy to be here. Well, thank you so much. And um, I'm just very excited because we don't get that many opportunities to talk to people about birds. And Phoenix Landing is a really special organization that only helps birds. So um, tell us about your organization and how you got involved with Phoenix Landing. Sure. Um, I think... um once you you live with a bird and you realize how special they are and ultimately how long-lived they are, you realize that they, unlike many other animals or pets, need our uh, ability to look out for them for a much longer period of time in their future, especially. So um, it, it was uh, hard for me to find a place that I thought I could count on for Phoenix, my green wing macaw. So that's when I decided to, along with my co-founders, um, start the organization so that we could build something hopefully enduring and sustainable that will not only look and protect my Phoenix, but many, many other birds as well. We already have 3,200 parrots in our system that have come to us over the last 21 years. And many of those have needed more than one home through us already. So, um, you know, we're just all paying forward, hoping that um, our own birds will still have an organization around them to protect them long after we're gone as well. So that's the goal. That is an awesome goal to have. And congratulations, 3,200 birds over a 21-year period. That is, that's quite an accomplishment. Thanks. Yeah, we're already off to 20 new birds this this month alone, and we'd probably do more if we just had more homes. So we've got a great volunteer force up and down the East Coast that help make it possible. And we just try to educate, educate, educate and, you know, bring the possibility of more homes because there's always at least 100 birds waiting just to get into our system. So not to mention the ones already in our system that need their next home as well. So it's just never enough homes, especially for the bigger birds. Right. And the ones that live an incredibly long time. 
Correct. And are a little more challenging to live with as they get the adults. They're not, you know, they're not the ones you, you touch and hug and do things with like you might a dog and cat. So you have to appreciate their magic and their beauty and find a way to live together in a way that's, that's a win-win for both of you without expectations that they'll be something they're not. And that's well, the hard I- part. Yeah, I think it's interesting that maybe people aren't aware just how unique the personality of a bird can be. Correct. Absolutely correct. So, um, because they have their little personalities and they have their likes and their dislikes and they have their quirks and they have their funny little things that they do to entertain us and themselves. And they're not right. always well-behaved. They're naughty sometimes. Oh, and they're just super smart. They're very bored in captivity, frankly. They don't get enough exercise. Most birds die of heart disease because they don't have enough cardiovascular activity. And then after that, they die of liver and kidney disease because they have bad food, seed being the, the culprit. So... You know, just like us humans, if they don't eat right or exercise, their lifespan is dramatically shorter. But unlike us, they don't show that they feel bad until they basically lay down and die. So, you know, it's really important for people to get up to speed um, on how to take good care of a bird so they don't just slowly, you know, break down and die young, frankly. So, so that makes me wonder. pessimistic, but that's true. Yeah, yeah, no, and I think that's realistic. Um, it makes me wonder, though, Anne, is there a, I mean, is there like an illegal trade in bringing birds into this country, or are we just breeding too many birds, or what's kind of the culprit behind um, having more birds than we have homes for? That's a good question. It's probably multifaceted. Um, ever since the uh, 1992, we are not legally supposed to import wild birds anymore. There are some countries that still allow that, and there are some countries that still allow export. But like um, after the avian flu, for example, a few years ago, Europe shut down and no longer imports birds. And of course, there's an underworld of some black market trade, and there's certainly a ton of birds still being trapped. I write a monthly column for um, a company called Lefebvre, which has really good parrot food. And every column I write, they donate $500 to that conservation effort. And the story is always the same, you know, too much trapping, loss of habitat not enough people in the local community looking out for their welfare. So there's, there's some of that, but there's also the fact that birds are so long lived. So somebody goes out at the age of 50 and buys this wonderful, fun, easy cockatoo, who's great and, and such a pleasure to live with until they go into their teenage years. And then the people get older, you know, and this bird could live easily if taken care of many more decades. So, you know, you have this abundance of birds. They became very popular, like in the 70s, especially 70s, 80s. 
So we see a lot of birds right now that are in their 30s and 40s um, because they've been with that family for a while. And they inevitably come in these really small cages with nothing to do. They've been eating bad bird seed for the last 30 years. So, you know, the good news is parrot care knowledge is getting so much better. And we're trying to be a part of that catalyst to change that. Education is probably the most important thing we do. Um, no matter where you got your bird, we want you to come learn, you know, keep learning how to take better care of it. And um, so you've got this, you know, backlog of birds that were imported with a lot of birds being bred right now that are, you know, being bought, but eventually you're going to need new homes too. So a little of everything. So should we adopt the same motto for birds that we have for cats and dogs, which is until there are none, you should adopt one? Oh, I love that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, because if you have so many birds in your system, and I can see on your um, website at phoenixlanding.org um, that you have a list of adoptable birds. And having never been a bird owner myself, but a bird admirer, I just look at these little faces and I see so many cute ones. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, look at that one. Look at that one. No, look at that one. They all are so yeah. cute. Yeah. I think my favorite is little Sunny, the uh, Sun Conure. Yes, and just in case anybody's going to look at the website after um, your wonderful comments about it, um, some of all those birds are already in our system in foster homes with the hope that they'll be adopted in the homes that they're in for the most part, because we start all our birds off as fosters because we want to make sure that um, it's a win-win for both the people and the bird and the bird gets uh, the last call, of course. So, you know, um, so those birds are already in our system. What you don't see on our website and we don't even begin to describe are all the birds waiting for our help. So until they actually enter our system, we don't really know them. Sure, so I have another weird question. I bet it's not completely uncommon for people to say, I'm just going to let my bird go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Especially the little ones like parakeets and cockatiels. They're like, oh, they'll be fine. No, they won't be fine. They don't know how to live outside. They don't have a flock to help keep them safe from predators. They may or may not be able to weather the weather. Um, all sorts of reasons of why that's just a death sentence for a bird. So I guess we just really want to caution people that letting a bird go is not a, an acceptable method of rehoming it. Exactly. Absolutely not. Um, and, and one of the things that attracted me to Phoenix Landing and the conversation we're having today is... I love the article that you wrote called For Parrot's Sake, Let's Change Our Language. And, and talk a little bit about that and how it is important um, for us to think about the rehoming of birds in a different way. Yeah, thank you. That's my personal passion, actually. Um, 
I think the word rescue, while well-meaning, still leaves us with a feeling of a problem or a bad background or emotional baggage or, you know, I don't get a chance to make my imprint on this animal kind of feeling. And that is absolutely not the case with birds. Most birds just need a new home. And they're also probably the most adaptable, resilient animals on the planet, in my opinion. I mean, they come from dinosaurs, for goodness sake. And, but that is the nature of a prey animal. They're all about what's happening today. Am I safe? Is somebody gonna give me some food? You know, am, do I have a place to hide if I need some privacy? I mean, they really wanna know that they're okay. Um, they're not about, oh, all this emotionalism of I missed something or, you know, poor me. Um, so we try to avoid words that, that take away their future opportunities, that leave them labeled. We're very focused on not labeling birds. So we don't say likes only men or doesn't take baths or refuses to eat their broccoli. I mean, or aggressive or hormonal or all the other things that we humans tend to use in our language, which labels them because they're not that in their next environment. They're perfectly capable of adapting to different kinds of people, different kinds of home, different kinds of food, et cetera, and move forward. I mean, that's just what they do. So we try to avoid the word rescue unless it really is a rescue. And there are some of those, but I have to tell you, the two macaws that came into us this month, both from horrible situations, are the best. They are awesome birds. They are, they are doing so well in their new homes, better than many other birds, frankly. And then the other thing is we try to avoid the term forever home. While that's a very nice um, thing to wish for, it's just not usually the case. Even for the smallest parakeets, which should and could live 20 or so years. I mean, think about how long that is to take care of something. That is not, people's lives change and that's, that's just fine. That's okay. I mean, that's, that's life. We, we get sick, we move, we get a new job, we have children, we die, whatever. So um, birds should not be um, considered that they can only do well once. They can do well over and over again without any problem. Well, I think I love that the most about your comments is that they're very adaptable and that they may be very appreciative of a new home environment. Yes. Definitely. We see them flourish. Absolutely. Even when they've come from somebody who thought they were doing well, but they really weren't giving them much of a life in terms of space and food and time. Um, they absolutely thrive. So absolutely. It doesn't matter where they come from. It's really all about where they're going. That's great because I just had the opportunity in one of my client estates to help with the rehoming of a little Senegal parrot named Birdie. And Birdie is mm -hmm. excellent in her new home and um, is just completely adored. And the fact that she um, mimics her former owner's voice and laugh is a very much a big yeah. joy to the people that have her now. That's fantastic. 
Um, yeah. Yes, they, they won't forget that they came from something good or bad. They, you know, you can bring that out in them again, but they're really not about repeating the old. They're all about adapting to their new environment. I mean, that's what prey animals have to do to survive in the wild. So that's just built into their nature, frankly. Well, and I think that they're so interesting in that they really are playful in ways that I think we don't give them credit for by, um, mm calling the dog or mimicking the cat or I had a friend that used to have a bird and every time we'd come over um, when she was ready for people to leave she'd say bye-bye yeah 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 that's pretty common they you know they watch what works like an African gray especially will see uh somebody go to the door or answer the phone or the microwave after a sound so they think you know I make that sound, I get a response. So they're very, they're very uh, intelligent as far as watching what behaviors work and what, what doesn't work. So we have to be careful what we reinforce because sometimes, you know, people reinforce the things that they don't want to live with because they say shut up or something in the, to the bird. That's just like, oh, I got your attention. Okay, let me scream a little louder next time. You know, so there's a whole lot that goes into the science an art of behavior actually that's important for people to understand to live successfully with a bird um, just because behavior is one of the big issues I think in living with a bird. Sure I, I would agree that's probably true in living with anybody right uh, um, a human right. or a right. dog or a cat or a horse and um, and certainly a bird would fall into that category. Yeah. Um, so what can you tell us that about senior birds that makes them so special? Mm, senior birds. Yeah. Um, I think they're, they're, they're calmer. They, they kind of know who they are. Um, and of course, senior is a relative term. Um, like we were talking earlier, we have a macaw that's 51 who laid her first egg this week. And you would think what, you know, but for a macaw, that's not very old. So, um, but I think avian veterinarians also think of some species as being old before what would be a time that it, I'm not saying this right. They could live a lot longer, but because they're often on bad diets or not getting enough exercise, they're aging before their time. Okay. So we have to um, be more attentive to birds as far as, especially things like arthritis. They tend to get that because they're not getting enough movement. Or uh, I know a lot of birds that just, you think that they're not feeling well or they're older or whatever. They're just oppressed. They're just bored. They just don't they don't have enough to do, not, not enough places to go and things to do. That's one of my mantras. And um, so they just sit on the perch and they're perch potatoes, you know, and they're, they're not old. They're just, they're just, they're just bored. And um, that it, you know, we, we sponsor an echo tour to the wild almost every year to support conservation. And um, so we see birds in their natural habitat being so busy and working so hard for every bite of food and pushing each other off of perches to have a good time or coming together like at the end of the day at dusk get a big rowdy bunch before they go off to their respective 
uh, roosting spots. So they have a lot of personality in the wild. And in captivity, a lot of times we give them one or two perches. The cage is way too small. The food is, you know, in one bowl and, and no variety. I mean, all that, if we think about how we'd feel, if we had to live in a small space with limited opportunity, we'd probably be the same way, right? We just kind of, I mean, I guess you could go one or two ways. You either get kind of angry about it or you just kind of get oppressed and birds do the same thing. So Very interesting. We never do enough. Yeah, no, it's very interesting. So I love that Phoenix Landing has lots of facets to it. And I, and I want to share this with the listeners because um, you do so many things. You provide educational op- opportunities and activities. You facilitate adoption for not only parrots, but parakeets to macaws. And you help veterinary students who are interested in learning about avian medicine and you're sponsoring research and conservation for wild parrots, and you're advocating for standards of care so we do a better job of taking care of our birds, and you're building and maintaining a sustainable organization, which is so important for any organization that's devoted to animals. And lastly, you're ensuring that birds are that are adopted through the Phoenix Landing um, Foundation are physically and legally protected. I love all of those as um, goals and objectives of your organization. Thanks. Yeah, each one is equally important in my mind. Um, they sure are. And then you do something really fun that people may want to know about, and that is that you have an annual wellness retreat. Tell us about that. We do. We do. Uh, we work with so many great veterinarians because we serve a fairly wide part of the East Coast. And um, I actually am a, uh, am a member of the uh, Association of Avian Veterinarians. I'm so grateful they let me do that so that I can go to the conferences every year and try to try to learn um, all the new stuff that that the avian veterinarians are doing. So our wellness retreat was the idea of one of our veterinary board members, Susan Orris, who's in Ohio and in my opinion, one of the best avian veterinarians in the world. And so it was her idea that we should take kind of that veterinary conference idea and bring it to the general public and so um you know and speak in a language that people can take home and put to use in their own uh homes with their own birds so um it's grown over the years we had to go zoom a couple years ago but we're on track to meet again in Asheville in june and um we have four simultaneous tracks at the same time so that the classrooms are not, you know, so big that people can actually have conversations and they, and they vary. So there's something for everybody, whether you want to learn to make toys or you want to talk about the endocrine system of parrots, you know, which is not for everybody. So um, it's just a nice way to come together. If we're, if COVID allows, hopefully we'll be back to like a couple hundred people. I hope again this, this year. And it's just a great, fun weekend. So if anybody has birds and you want to dive into some new topics or just meet other fellow bird lovers, I hope you'll consider joining us. We keep the expense as low as we can because it's not about making money. It's about 
giving people the opportunity to enhance the lives of their birds in their own homes. And we also have some veterinary students and veterinarians who come so that they can actually, you know, learn from each other as well. So it's, it's a lot of fun. That's usually where we learn the most is from each other, right? Absolutely. Um, and we all have different experiences and yeah. we all learn things the hard way. So our goal is to help your birds not have to learn, at, you know, you have to learn at your bird's expense. So if we can help you get ahead of a problem or just bring some greater richness to your bird's life, that's, that's our goal. I think that's great. And people can join um, your organization as a member. They can volunteer. There's lots of ways that they can get involved. They can shop. Yes, that's right. We have our own store. It is actually one of our sustaining features. It's called helpingparrots.com. That's our store. And that's our the motto of our organization, Helping Parrots. Well, and I love that you have so many things because parrots do love toys. That's we all know that, I think. And uh, yeah, yeah. toys and nutritional information, perches and swings, books and DVDs, accessories. Oh, my goodness. Clothing, not for birds, but for people, I assume. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. We don't want to put our bird in a sweater, do we? No, no. Some people do when they're feather pickers, but that's its own issue. But uh, we also have monthly classes and, you know, one of the upsides, I guess, to COVID is that we've all had to go to Zoom for a lot of things. Um, and so every month we have a free Zoom class. Next weekend, February 5th, Saturday, we have a, um, a board certified avian veterinarian from California who's going to give a talk uh, about beaks. I mean, that's a pretty unique topic and every, every bird has a beak. So, um, you know, all you have to do is go to our education page and register and join us for free so we have people from all over the world who come to those talks as well so it's easy so fun well and the other thing is you can adopt a bird but if you're not in a position to do that you can also sponsor one that's right of course we'd love that that we have some birds here at our only facility at the landing that have been here a really long time especially those uh, male cockatoos they're they're pretty challenging and not for many people so you know we feed them well we keep their cages uh retrofitted with lots of activity so sponsorship is great i think that's that's another great way that people can help out um so because i have uh, dogs and cats at my house how do birds get along with dogs and cats that's a great question. And um, I think it's a, it's an individual by individual kind of thing. Um, I think most people who have birds are animal lovers probably to start with and many have other animals. I mean, I have a cat. I have to be careful with my cat and a little bird, but I know that the cat and the macaw, I think the macaw kind of will take care of that situation. Um, we've had, 10 birds in our system killed by dogs. And I've never heard of an issue with a cat. I'm sure there are issues with cats, but the problem with dogs is that they're very fast or if they're ill, they can snap suddenly, et cetera. So I always get so worried when I see those YouTube videos with the bird riding around in the back of the dog or something, you know, or it's just, we have to be very attentive to 
what kind of species of dog we have and what kind of species of bird we have. So if we had little parakeets all flitting around and you had a kitten, probably not a good combination. If you have an older dog and the bird's not anywhere near them, probably not a problem. So, and then anything is possible in between. So yes, just like adopting a puppy or a kitten, I mean, it has to be a good match and um, you wouldn't, um... You wouldn't just bring a, uh, a puppy into a household where you didn't think about what the other occupants of that household were. So the same thing with the bird. Exactly, exactly. I um, mean, a larger bird is probably not a problem. They're gonna give a little nip to the tail and it's done. But I remember when I brought a cockatoo home 20 years ago and thought, oh, this, this bird will meet my Airedale dog. Well, talk about learning stuff the hard way, you know. I've done it all. That dog bit that bird's wing. It was a real tragedy. I mean, she she did fine, but you know that was that didn't need to happen. I didn't need to introduce them face to face like I was some magic matchmaker here. You know that was just totally um, unthoughtful of me to this bird, this new bird in this household, and this dog who was protecting its family. So um, I think we just have to um, be very attentive to body language of all the animals in our house, but also making sure that we're protecting a bird, especially, you know, a lot of times people want to cut the wing, um, trim the wings, which is very old school, frankly. Um, and then the bird can't fly. And then the bird ends up on the floor and the dog or the cat, that's just, you know, fair game at that point. Whereas if the bird could fly, it could fly away and potentially not get hurt. But you know, those are the kinds of things people have to think about. Absolutely. So let's say that I am listening to this program today and I'm motivated to want to adopt or foster. And um, what's the process for doing that, Anne? Okay, great question. Okay, so uh, the first step is to go to our website and fill out the application. Um, and then the next step after that is to go to our online self-paced class, which is how we're doing it still because of COVID, instead of having classes all up and down the East Coast like we used to. So it's online, self-paced, even if you are not adopting or fostering through us and you just want maybe some new information or a refresher, anybody can sign up for that class. So um, that starts again February 4th, a couple weeks each month. And then after that, after you finish the class, we connect you with the adoption coordinator in your area. And we're like matchmakers. Our job is to make sure that um, you may think you want that cockatoo, but maybe in your household, you know, Connor is a better fit or whatever. We talk through it together and figure out what is the right match for your family and a bird. And then um, we make arrangements for that to happen once we all agree that that's, you know, the right way to go. So, and then we hope, we love learners. We hope that uh, people will keep coming back and learning new things. And then that bird is in foster for a couple months or up to a couple months. Um, and then um, we move into full adoption at that point. And then we have um, contracts for both foster and adoption. Both of them are on our website. So there's no surprise. And, um, you know, we maintain basically legal custody, which means that should you not be able to care for that bird anymore, no matter who you think in your life might be a good next fit, 
that bird has to come back through our system and the new family has to be agreed to with by us and also sign another contract. That way we never have a bird going into a black hole that we lose track of and we don't know where they are because we make a commitment to that bird when they enter our system that we're going to do our darndest to look out for them for life, no matter how many homes they need. And we can only do that if people cooperate with our process. Sure. So that brings us to, um, I'm a bird owner and I am concerned about what might happen to my bird if something happens to me. What role mm. can Phoenix Landing play if I pass away? Yes, and that does happen. Um, for, well, if the bird is already in our system and you've adopted from us, then that bird is top of our list before any other bird, new bird enters our system. Once a bird is in our system, those 3,200 plus birds, um, they're always our top priority. So if that bird is not already in our system, uh, we encourage you to make sure that you have information written down, even if it's uh, what we have on our parent questionnaire for relinquishing and you put that with your will or better yet go to you Peggy for a trust and get all that worked out in advance um, it depends on the species I think only a couple times we haven't been able to help on short notice but we've been able to steer people somewhere that could um, again it's the larger more challenging birds that are hard to find a home for right away if we had homes waiting, we'd, we'd already have them filled with all the birds waiting for our help. So it's not like we have many homes just standing by, but we do um, have a constant flow of applicants and you know other families who already have had birds from us that we trust. So we do our darndest to see if we can you know help somebody on short notice. I love that. Well, and, and really, that's how I came to learn about Anne and Phoenix Landing Foundation was through one of my clients who was doing proactive planning for her birds that are her children. And um, she's making arrangements in advance to make sure that her birds are going to be taken care of if, if a time comes when she's not able to care for them in the future. So um, I felt really fortunate to, number one, help my client, but number two, become acquainted with Phoenix Landing Foundation and, and all that you're doing for the birds of the world out there. And we really appreciate you, Anne. Likewise. Gosh, it takes, takes a village to make sure everybody's where they need to be, right? It does take a village and, and thank you for doing your part. And, and we hope that our listeners will uh, join us next week when we talk to somebody else resting in the pet world. And um, if you need more information about Phoenix Landing Foundation, you can find them at phoenixlanding.org. We've been talking today with Ann Brooks. She's the president at Phoenix Landing Foundation. Um, my motto is until there are none, please adopt one. And uh, please plan for your pets using a pet trust. Um, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Anne, for being here with us. Thank you. All right. Pleasure. Happy tails, everybody. See you next time. Thank you for joining us on All My Children Wear Fur Coats with your host, Peggy Hoyt. We hope you learned something valuable for the benefit of your pet.
We want to keep loved pets in loving homes by educating pet parents about the importance of ensuring every pet has a forever home. Get more information about creating a legacy for your pet at AnimalCareTrustUSA.org or LegacyForYourPet.com. Buy a copy of All My Children Wear Fur Coats, How to Leave a Legacy for Your Pet on Amazon. Join our email list or make a donation. Pet professionals and advisors are invited to join our trusted advisor network. Until next time, happy tales!